Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta. I am your host Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on Talking Chop or over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. And everyone, Road to Atlanta is back, and we are really, really excited to be back. Joining me this evening is going to be one Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers. Gentlemen, how are you? Glad to be back. I'm so excited to be back and recording, man. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long and winding road. So I'm I, we get I get asked a lot, and I know Garov has, and I'm sure Matt and Garrett have too. Uh, Garrett's not gonna be with us this evening, by the way, just because we're trying to make sure we can troubleshoot any audio issues and just making sure that I didn't have to like think about where too many mics where too many problems could be. But Garrett is gonna be back on future shows uh, as much as he's willing and able. Um, I'm sure he'll be on next week. We're just gonna try to make sure he's all set up to after we kind of get the initial sort of troubleshooting stuff out of the way. But fear not, he will be back. Um, but the and I, I get asked a lot as to what happened to Road to Atlanta, and the short version is that there was a lot of things that happened. One is that my my laptop died, um, a very spectacular death, and that combined with me taking on more responsibilities at Talking Chop as the deputy site manager, in addition to running the minor league side. Plus, Matt Matt's a busy guy. Garrett was traveling a lot. Uh, he was in Europe for a good chunk of the year uh, of the off season. Garov has been really busy with a new job and he's having a really good time with that. And it was just, it got very busy and combined with having to get all the tech issues sorted out. It, it was problematic for us to start. It was always our intention to start the show back and we're really excited to bring the show back. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Road to Atlanta is a podcast that is devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects where we wax poetic on, you know, whatever issues or, or news is happening in, in the minor league system on any given week. Uh, we're going to try to be doing this every week. We're going to be recording, hopefully, every Thursday night. At the very least, we'll be posting every Thursday night if we have to move things around for guests. Um, I've been asked, you know, if this guy's going to be on the p- podcast again, if if, th- if that guy's been on the podcast again. I will say this, uh, and this has been exciting. And there's some talks been behind the scenes where we've been kind of giggling in excitement being able to do this again. If there's been a guest on this podcast, it is very likely that they will be appearing again. 
in addition to some other really exciting guests that I've reached out to. We don't have set timelines for those yet as to who's available when and when it makes the most sense for them to come on, but they are going to be coming back. And I don't know. I just, I'm super excited to be talking about actual baseball and minor league baseball and all that stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, what, what are you guys thinking kind of as we relaunch this thing? Just generally excited right now. I mean, I've done nothing but watch baseball. I haven't even bothered to put on the NCAA tournament at this point just because baseball's finally back. I, I have to admit, as soon as that first pitch in the Nationals game started, I pretty much stopped working for the rest of the day. So unfortunately, I have like <laughs> five hours of work to do after we record this, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm super excited. So, here are some things that are going to be changing about the podcast that you guys need to be aware of. If you are subscribed on iTunes to the Road the Road to Atlanta iTunes feed or the SoundCloud feed, uh, that RSS feed, that is not locked. No longer going to get you the new the new episodes. However, it's still going to be posted on the Road to Atlanta Twitter Twitter account. It's going to be on the Talking Chop website where we're going to be posting articles for posts here, uh, kind of posting as that comes up as well. Uh, it's going to be on the Talking Chop iTunes feed or the talking chop feeds that you guys use. It's just going to be showing up as like, it's going to be titled differently. We're going to use the road to Atlanta logo is kind of a set. It's kind of, it is separate, but also kind of included in the kind of that talking chop umbrella. We're all talking chop writers. And more importantly, this allows us to, there's going to be a change in that there are going to be a couple ad breaks that you're going to be experiencing when you're listening to the show. Uh, we're going to do the best to make it like one to two per podcast. I don't want you guys every 10 minutes having to listen to an ad and stuff like that. But, and that's something that I can control. Uh, but that way it allows us to kind of continue to grow the podcast. It allows us to continue to upgrade our equipment, which brings us to probably one of the coolest things to happen to me in a long time. We, um, Garav and I have been t- talking about, you know, how we're going to relaunch and what we need to do. And we're well aware that we need to upgrade our audio equipment. I had gotten another, I had gotten a, a, a decent mic, but that mic wasn't working with Windows anymore. And, you know, Garav was needing, you know, needing to upgrade his, his end of things. And so was Garrett. And so was Matt. And we're just thinking like, well, you know, how, what are we going, how are we going to go about this? And then we were kind of trying to do that planning. And we, but we announced anyway that the road to Atlanta was coming back and we were willing to make whatever commitments we need to make and do what we needed to do to, Get, get it to work. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Zach, uh, who I was not going to give his Twitter handle or his last name, but I will say that he messaged me and he said he was really excited to have Road to Atlanta coming back. But one of the things that made it difficult for him to listen was because of some audio quality issues. Uh, and if anyone who listened to the old Road to Atlanta uh, episodes uh, range from just you know general connect- connectivity issues and connectivity buzz to Garrett eating an entire bag of Doritos and having his cat meowing directly into the mic. All of those things cause some uh, audio, some audio issues, and uh, you know, again, learning about audio editing and things like that was a work in progress for all of us. And he said, "I would like to help. What equipment? What equipment do you guys need? Because I'm willing to, you know, get you guys some stuff if need be." And I was kind of blown away by that request. I made an Amazon wish list just to kind of give him an idea of some things that he could choose from that would make the podcast better, and I posted that on Twitter. Within about five minutes, uh, someone else by the name of Scott, who, again, I'm not going to give out full names and full Twitter handles and things like that, he messages me and he says, hey, can you please make sure you let me know if this gets to you? I want to make sure that it got to you safely. And I look back and one of the items is already gone. And I'm blown away, you know, thanking him. And it was not a cheap, it was not a cheap thing for him to get. And I was blown away that, you know, there was even anyone that was willing to help out the podcast and, you know, help us continue to get this thing going. 
And then later that day, Zach says, okay, I think you're all set. Um, just let me know when the package gets there. And I look at the Amazon wish list, and I kid you not, there was one item left back on it. I wouldn't imagine in a million years that someone would have t- had been that generous to a podcast that has really been kind of a labor of love for Garav, Garrett, Matt, and I for a long time that would be that generous to kind of help it be better. So I'm actually using one of the new mics right now. Unfortunately, one of the uh, microphones that came that came in that's actually supposed to be the better one uh, came in in not working order, so I'm being having that one replaced. But over time, you're going to kind of see these, this, the equipment that I now have and am getting set up. It's going to be disseminated to the boys. Uh, things are going to continue to get better and better. And as I get better with audio editing and things like that, the, you're going to see more and more improvement, and you should be hearing an improvement right now with just the overall audio quality. So thank you, Zach and Scott. You're in everyone who supported the road to Atlanta over the, you know, it's over its entire lifespan, including the coma that it's been in for a while. Just thank you. It's been really kind of awesome to see here how many people were excited to have the podcast come back, but you didn't really come to hear me talk about, you know, how people, you know, getting us stuff and kind of us being, Super excited to get to hear our own voices again. That's not really what we're here to do. What we're here to do is talk about baseball. The minor league, minor league season starts back next week. So around uh, next Thursday is when most of the games start. And we're going to be doing some minor league roster previews starting with Gwinnett. Uh, first, Garav, give me a good sense of kind of what the players you're looking forward to seeing in Gwinnett and kind of what your expectations are. That team is stacked, especially the pitching staff. I mean – if you if you think about the starting pitchers available, the the lowest ceiling is Colby Allard, who's already pitched in the majors. You know, it's it's hitting you with not only high end talent but also depth as well. Yeah, it's Soroka, Tucson, Weigel as soon as he's like hundred percent healthy. Again, Allard, Johara, like this pitching staff is not only just the starting pitchers, but the relief pitching as well. Uh, Pfeiffer is there, Winkler, you know, it's a, it's an incredibly talented Gwinnett team, which is something we haven't seen in quite some time. And then position player wise, Alex Jackson did so well, uh, during spring training. It's nice to see him get his back, uh, going again. I know that they teased on air about how last year was really focused on him becoming more, uh, a lot better behind the plate. And it seems like he, he's been unleashed during spring training. He had a really great spring there. Uh, Austin Riley, we'll see how long he's going to be, um, he's down in AAA. Uh, I think the, the main, the main highlights have got to be the pitching staff, Alex Jackson and, and Austin Riley. I think most everyone else there is probably more minor league free agents or, or like typical depth you'll see, but this pitching staff can carry the Gwinnett Braves to, I'm pretty sure, an IL title if they want, depending on if those pitchers stay there for a long time. Matt, uh, I generally agree with kind of what Garav is saying, but who are some guys that are maybe some not the obvious names? Obviously, the pitching staff with all those guys that already have major league experience and are really highly regarded prospects. You know, whether it be Mike Soroka or Patrick Weigel coming back from injury, injury, we kind of Tuki, we know those names. But who are some guys that you think are either going to be in AAA and could make some noise this year, or some guys that maybe could make the jump to the Gwinnett roster that we're not necessarily kind of looking at right now? Well, before we even get into that, I want, I just want to point out that I think Austin Riley's probably the biggest guy on that team to watch because I think they're going to try him at some other positions, maybe some outfield, maybe even some first base and just 
see where they can actually get him to work playable defensively to get his bat in the lineup because adding that bat in the second half of the season would really help in Atlanta this year. Obviously, the more positions he can play, more versatility you have on the bench. and He could be a really valuable piece if he can actually pick up a couple spots where he could play at least passable defense and hit just a little bit to unlock some of that power at the big league level. As for some guys that we haven't really talked about that I think could get there, I think some of the younger pitchers that would be projected on the double-A roster, I think we could possibly see an Ian Anderson up there, maybe a Kyle Muller, someone like that, that realize the spots are very tight right now, but it's kind of hard not to see them forcing their way up to triple-A with how well they've pitched, how good their stuff is, just what their pitchability is. I mean... There's only so long you could hold a guy with that kind of talent and that kind of brain to pitch down. So I could see them, if an injury or two happens, even if it doesn't, just forcing their way up into Gwinnett. I mean, real, real quick, if you don't mind me chiming in, a lot of these players that you were already talking about are most likely going to end up in Atlanta regardless this season. You know, just attrition from pitching, and then you want to have your best players up in Atlanta. So even then... On type of Muller, you know, I, I'm kind of interested to see if Wentz gets some time in, in AAA as well, because he looked fantastic during spring. Uh, I don't know if they'll be that aggressive with Tristan Beck, probably not, but, you know, that's another name to, to keep out. He's probably going to be a quick mover just because of his age and his, his time in, in college. So even if we graduate some of these pitchers up to uh, the big leagues, there's still that next wave of high ceiling pitcher arms that are gonna are gonna easily uh, slide right into the Gwinnett roster, and then you add that with the legend of Pedro Florimon, who hit that walk off grand slam to end spring training. Like Florimon started and ended spring so hot, just everything in the middle, not so much. I'm interested in if he ends up in Atlanta sometime. Uh, probably not with Culberson and such the like the pretty solid bench that they have up there, but. Uh, he's he's going to be a nice player in, in, in Gwinnett for sure. And just since you touched on Wentz, I just wanted to call out that last year he went through a little stretch where he completely lost his command, which is very unusual for a guy like him. I think his delivery got a little out of sync, and he was walking three, four, five, six guys in a game, and that went on for about a month, and then he took a couple weeks off. But if you exclude those four or five starts, stretch in there he actually had before he got hurt a little bit later a line that if it was went out through the entire year could have actually been in the conversation for minor league player of the year not just braves but in the conversation for minor league player of the year i forget what the exact numbers were off the top of my head but they were just dominant like a one a low one zra a sub one whip he probably wouldn't have won it, but he would have been at, at least in that discussion. Those numbers just jump off the page at you. Everyone knows how high I am on Ian Anderson, and Joey Wentz is right there with me, like right there with him. I have I have you know Ian slash Tukey and Joey Wentz right there. So if we can get a full season out of uh, Wentz, I'm going to be so happy. He's most likely going to end up being my next uh, highest rated uh, prospect we have. I mean, I think all those. All those scenarios, I think, are reasonably possible, right? But I think that there's a couple a couple names that I do want to mention. Um, in terms of relievers, which I think is a – we're kind of 
I don't know. We, we've kind of realized that we haven't really given relievers as much love as maybe we need to, especially it's just the way how much they're relied upon in the major leagues. But uh, Jacob Webb is a guy who has really big stuff that could possibly see time. He he could make some noise in AAA, and he could make force his way into the majors. Corbin Klaus is another guy that I really, really like. All the guy does is pitch and get results. Yes, um, I'm completely in agreement on Klaus, and I've been on his train for quite a while now, just very underappreciated for what he can do. Yep, and, you know, he he's a guy that, you know, it felt like he was a victim of the – the, the bit of the logjam of the, the the starting pitching like minor league roster since there's it's so hard to make moves until like another guy was moved that's why we'd see like this big avalanche of moves happening all year last year where like if we saw if we knew one guy was moving we knew that there was going to be like four or five guys that were going to be moving up the chain in some form or fashion whether sometimes it was releases but most of the time it was promotions and he was a guy that kind of had to wait his turn but he he climbed the ladder and he ended up making his way to AAA and now he's a guy that could be easily in consideration once those the the for, the 40 man roster gets sorted out a little bit and maybe some of those other names that maybe shouldn't be on the 40 man roster I'm not going to name any names from of relievers who maybe may or may not have struggled in today's uh opening day game for the Braves but you know as that happens you know he's a guy that I could foresee getting a shot uh, I would not be shocked if one of Drew Waters or Christian Pache made their way to AAA relatively quickly. And the reason why I say it that way is that one, I, I see one of two things happening. Either Christian Pache is, is we're, we're quite certain he's going to start in AA. And assuming there are no injuries in Atlanta where things could get weird and like he could get called up straight to the major leagues if he was hitting really well, I don't necessarily see that as a likely possibility. But what I could see happening is one of two things. Either Pache's hitting well and nothing's really happening, nothing really has changed in Atlanta, and he gets onto the uh, the Gwinnett roster where while the pitching staff is a really deep one that's hard to get promoted into, outfield and like the position players other than outside of Elston Riley and, and catcher maybe, th- that's a place you can make your way into if you play well. And I could see him making it, or if Pache is only doing okay at at Double A, Andrew Waters is hitting the cover off the ball, and he's a guy that he looked good in. I mean, both these guys really look good in spring. I think we all agree that both Pache and Waters like were impressive, and they didn't seem overmatched in big league camp at all. Uh, particularly Pache, who just seemed like to get hits every time he was in games. But if Pache is maybe not hitting as well, and they want to give him more at bats against double A hitting, where they can get some more, you know, get that, his pitch recognition down and work on his approach a bit. And Drew Waters hitting the cover off the ball, he's a guy that it, the way they talk about him, it seems like it's a guy he could they could feasibly move really quickly if they feel like he needs to be challenged. I'm not sure if you guys necessarily think that's going to happen, but it, it it seems like it's a possibility. I will I will quickly say one thing about Pache. You know, I think if anyone's listened to us before, they are they. They could tell I'm higher on Waters just because I think he's got the higher ceiling and Pache has a has the higher floor because we haven't seen those kind of improvements with his bat. Uh, but watching him uh, in spring training, the times I could actually watch, I noticed like a significant change in him. And I, I don't know, maybe if it was just the, the couple of games I saw, but it seemed like he was sitting on his back foot more and he wasn't leaning over the plate. If this guy is able to generate, you know, if he's able to stay back and start generating – uh, more power and start hitting with more authority. I might have to change things up, and he—I don't know, man. Like, we're we're talking a significant change in my on my end about Pache. I think now we're seeing him start to creep towards his potential, and if he keeps making these adjustments, oh man, I'm gonna 
there's a certain center fielder in Atlanta that has a lot of people blocked, and uh, his his time might be coming up pretty short. <laughs> Today but, uh, has not helped his cause. But, yeah, I completely agree with those thoughts. And I, although I do think that Pache has quite a bit higher ceiling, but he's got a lot lower of the floor as as a big league starter, I should say. I think the more likely big leaguer of the two would obviously be Pache because of his defense. But I think that Waters has the higher floor in a big league starter role. But I think he's got the higher bust potential, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. But. I think Pache is not a guy you want to move fast because I think you really want him to work on just hitting, working counts, just drawing walks, getting on base, stuff like that, because he's already showing more power, really. I mean, I'm not 100% on his power. He's never going to be a 40-home run guy, but the power is starting to come for him. Right now, it's just a matter of unlocking his on-base skills and figuring out ways to work counts better, see more pitches, take some walks, just get an on-base percentage around that 350, 360 mark or something around that. Even a 340 would be nice for him, and then he can become a superstar. If that power just comes in a little bit more, he can get that OBP up to that 340 to 360 range and play that defense with that speed and use that speed to get on base with some singles too. He could be right up there behind Acuna and Freddie for the best player on the team. I, th- I think it's I think anyone who sees and watches Pache, he's kind of an interesting guy in the sense that he... He, he, he's not built like a speed guy. Like he, he's not a small guy at all. He's big and he looks like he could be a power hitter. And what you want to see out of him and what you can see in a raw form is like world class athleticism. When we talked to Kylie, uh, McDaniel, when he was on the show, uh, some time ago, I guess it was probably close to a year ago now, he like talked about like he could be like an Olympian athlete and just about whatever he chose to do just because he's just that athletically talented. What you want to see is, I mean, it, I mean, Matt and Garov are right. Like, you know, you want to see the power play. You want to see, you know, his his physical, you know, his physical gifts and certain tools. But just seeing that athleticism play in games on a regular basis. I mean, it's not just the power, and it's not just the hit tool or the approach. I mean, his he has like top, near top of the scale speed, and he's not a guy that's stealing the bases you would expect him to with the, with that kind of speed. Uh, he needs to be like taking extra bases. He needs to be, you know, get working on his, you know, stolen base craft because it's not as simple as being fast. You need to be able to pick and pick your spots. And he's still very young. And if he's not moved super quickly, it's not necessarily because he's not going to be a good player. It's just that he has a lot to learn about kind of using his very significant physical gifts, um, to kind of, <laughs> to kind of harness those and be able to understand what, what he can and can't do on a baseball field. And if he doesn't know how to do it and he can't do it right now, can he learn, you know, can he learn to make sure that he's using his lower half properly so he can go the opposite way so that he can really turn on balls and put some power in, into his swing and, you know, hit balls over the fence. And, you know, he, he's, he's an easy guy to dream on, but I also understand the, the love for Drew Waters because when you talk about a switch hitting guy who his bat seems like it's more likely to play long term right now but obviously the defense isn't quite as good as Christian Pache's and you could put Drew Waters in the corner and you could convince me maybe that's where he ends up although uh, I'm sure that Garav is ready to throw things at me by the sheer notion of taking him out of center field right now um 
Well, he, well, here, here's the thing about that. If, if Pache is your starter, is your center fielder, you have to move Drew Waters. Like, I think Drew Waters is good enough to be a more than capable center fielder, but you have a world class defender. Like, you, you just can't. You have to have Pache in center, Waters in a corner, and Acuna in a corner. And then if you have that, and they're all playing to their potential, you have one of the best outfields in all of baseball. Yeah. Go ahead. See how balls are going to drop into an outfield like that. Yeah, can you imagine an outfield where the worst defender of the three might be Ronald Acuna Jr.? <laughs> I mean, it's being like, and that's not a knock on Acuna at all, but he might be the worst defender of those three. That's when you see a shift in baseball where people are trying to drive the ball straight into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the ground ground ball strats. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any? Uh, you guys have any more thoughts about the Gwinnett roster? Anything that you expect to see, or anything beyond that before we move on? No, I mean I'm excited to watch some Tuki, but and I'm, I'm glad to I'm see curious. I'm curious about how they're going to fit all these arms, and I really think Ian Anderson should start in Gwinnett. And when you have Ian Anderson in Gwinnett, that's just who who do you want to hit against? I feel bad for opposing teams. <laughs> I, I I expect to see a lot of movement. I'm a little. I think a lot of the movement that's going to be coming from Double A to Triple A is going to be happening a little later in the year once they kind of figure out. Like who's going? Some of these starting pitching prospects at, the, at AAA are going to end up in the bullpen, or you know things. There's just too many. There's too many bodies in the way right now to kind of do too much lateral movement. I don't think it was. It might be like late May before we see those moves. I mean, it, injuries and weird stuff. Weirder stuff has happened, but that's kind of what I I see happening. And we're going to be seeing a lot of the Gwinnett shuttle between Atlanta uh, and the Gwinnett Stripers over the next you know over the next few months as they kind of get the rotation sorted out from. You know, just just from all these injuries and then kind of managing you know these days off and stuff like that, they seem like they're kind of basically employing like this like weird six man rotation where there's like a rotating sixth guy and possibly a rotating fifth guy too. Um, so it, we're gonna see a lot of movement. So if you see guys in AAA right now, I don't necessarily think that they're gonna be stuck down there for a, an appreciably long period of time as the Braves sort of get sort figure out exactly where they want to go. Uh, before we go uh, on to the Mississippi Braves, we're gonna take a short ad break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Mississippi Braves. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, boys, let's talk about the Mississippi Braves, because this is where we kind of have a good sense as to what Gwinnett's going to look like, just because we, a lot of those roles are set in stone. Uh, we have some journeymen at Gwinnett that have been in Gwinnett for a long time, and we have the, you know, the kind of the starting pitching prospects that are going to be rotated in and out of Atlanta, and we kind of know who's going to be starting there. Mississippi is where we have to get a little bit more speculative, right? Um, so Matt, kind of, when you're looking at the Mississippi Braves roster, first, what is your ex- what is your expectation for what that rotation is going to be? So, I would hope that Anderson is the opening day starter. Beyond that, I think Wentz would probably be a number two or number three along with Mueller. Mueller might have a 
decent case to make of being the opening day starter over Anderson just because he made it a little further last year than uh, Anderson did. So I think those would be my one to three. And then I think Tucker Davidson would be a good fourth starter. I think he came into last year with a little bit of hype and didn't live up to it, especially early. But I think after he kind of figured himself out, after struggling early, he pitched a little bit better down the stretch. But his overall numbers wouldn't reflect that because the overall numbers were ugly after that bad start to the season. But I think those four are going to be the main pieces to that Mississippi rotation. Okay, Garav, I have a question for you. And this is where we, we have a – the Braves have already said that Christian Pache is going to be starting in, in, in AA – he could move up. He could move up. It's not wouldn't be the craziest notion in the world. There are some guys who were either at Double A or were in High A that could kind of move up or down relatively quickly, and there's cases to be made. So I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you some names. I'm just going to kind of do a little bit of a rapid fire type thing, and what whether or not you would put this put uh, put a given player at Double A right now, or oh would you or, or you would either move them up or down. And just and get your explanation why. First one is CJ Alexander. <laughs> Triple A. He's gonna be in. He's gonna be in Atlanta by, <laughs> by June. Uh, honestly, I'd probably say CJ should start in High A. I gotta agree with that. I mean, I think he belongs there because he really doesn't have a lot of professional experience yet, and he yeah. didn't play the highest levels of college and JUCO ball. But I think that given where he ended up being. To finish last year, a couple good, strong weeks, and he's ready for that double-A promotion. Totally agree. So here's my thing about C.J. Alexander, and it's – he when I was looking at, like, previewing rosters, he was the hardest guy for me to peg because, for one, he got jumped to high A from straight from rookie ball, and he performed reasonably well. I mean, he performed well in, in high A. That wasn't the problem, but – I felt like that promotion was because of, like, they didn't want to, like, upset things that were going on in Rome at that moment. And it, it felt like it was kind of like a late-season promotion-type tra- treatment where it might, that might not necessarily represent where they were development. He was developmentally or where the Braves wanted to put him. That combined with the fact that Baseball America had their report come out on him and they said that he's going to be starting the year at Rome. I don't know if that reflects something that they've heard saying that they are going to start start him at Rome and maybe just move him quickly from there depending on how things go. You know, if if they're trying to, you know, manage other things like Travis DeMerit, maybe possibly being getting some time at third or, you know, guys like Ray Patrick Ditter making more utility uh, appearances and things like that. But on the flip side of that, we have CJ being in in big league camp. He's being highly thought of. Maybe that means he starts the year at high A, or maybe that means that like there's some this this crazy jump where we've seen these types of jumps happen with guys that we didn't necessarily think were going to make that jump like Jared James was a couple years ago. Now, admittedly, that didn't work out very well, but it's interesting to see kind of he's one of those guys who's old enough where he could justify maybe being a little bit higher level than he normally would, but there's also a lot of good reasons to maybe have him at high A or maybe even just start at low A and then just, you know, with the with the idea that you move him quickly. Um, but I mean, are we in agreement that we think that high A is the most likely place for him? Cause whenever I saw that, you know, Rome was going to be his destination, I was actually pretty surprised. I know I talk about him a lot, but 
just based on pure amount of professional experience. So jumping him to, to Mississippi, I think, would be kind of a uh, a knock again. Not a knock, but I just don't think it's the right fit. I think he needs to get more time and face more elite-level talent before he starts to move up. I don't think he's a finished project uh, by any means. And, yeah, I mean, you can't really push him too hard. But at the same time, you also don't want to keep him down in somewhere like Rome because he's going to turn 23 by the middle of the season. I mean, as a prospect, not to call him old for a prospect, but he's not young by prospect standards. So you don't want to take it too slow with him either because you don't want him to not reach the big leagues till he's 25, 26. So you do have to be a little bit more aggressive with him than you would with someone as young as Pache or Waters, for example. Yeah, I think he starts in, in high A, but then by the summer summertime, he's most likely pushing that towards Mississippi, where he'll probably spend the rest of the season. I think that seems like a safe bet. Now, here's another name that showed out a bit in the Arizona Fall League and who we have not been always particularly kind to on this podcast or at Talking Chop or in our conversations in the chat or on Twitter. I don't see a world where they make Braxton Davidson repeat in high A for the fourth year in a row. Is this the year we see him against double-A pitching and see, and is this kind of when we find out where he's going to be? You kind of have to. I mean, if he's still in the system, and obviously he is, you have to just give him a chance to let him try to do something more or let him go at some point. And I think he's reached that point where you have to give him something more. I mean, is that... Go ahead. Um, yeah. he, he's a frustrating guy to talk about. Because yeah, I guess. Like I you see those spurts and you see it in the AFL and you're like, oh my goodness, like what's great is when tw- when Twitter gets a hold of his hot streaks and it's like, oh man, maybe he's turning it around, you know, this is the week that Braxton Davidson becomes an elite prospect and then, you know, he'll have these tears for two weeks and then the next four months are him with like a four hundred OPS. And you're like, Why why is he kind of taking a roster spot in the organization? And it's he's a very dynamic player. Uh and hard to really get a grasp of. I think this is the year he ends up in Mississippi, which could really, it could not be very good things for him. I I pray and I hope and I wish for the best for him, but a guy with his current level of play in Mississippi in that ballpark is going to be tough. I will say this about Braxton is that I've heard from a couple people, including players who said that they are really, they really, really think that if you put Braxton against better pitching, you may see him perform better. Now that's a bit oxymoronic in a lot of ways because I mean, we're talking about a guy who I think his like his career high or at least his high in well during his time in high a like batting average is like two twenty or something like that. And this is a guy who's repeated that level a few times now. Uh, and has real strikeout problems, has always been able to draw walks. That's, that, that, that goes without question. But they, they've, the, there's been multiple people who have said that they really feel like against pitchers that will throw strikes and actually have a plan, that they think that Braxton could do some damage. 
I'm interested. And, uh, I do. I agree. I do agree that I think that uh, he's going to be headed for Double A. And if I'm a betting man, that it will not go well. But I mean, the, the raw power. The raw power is a is a real thing. I mean, I, I that they, he has kind of one of those swings where like if he gets a hold of one, it's liable to travel to the moon. So I, I don't know. He that's go the, ahead. That's the frustrating thing about him is, you know, he's got a really good eye at the plate. You know, he's never had a walk rate on under like 12% in his, in his professional career, which is just absurd. Even if he had a slightly below average hit tool and he hit for more power, you, you know, that's also the really weird thing is he's not hitting for power at all. Well, not at all, but even, yeah, if you look at his last, his last year's stats, he had 20 home runs, but his slugging percentage was thrill, still 365. Like, if he was able to hit for more power with that walk rate and a somewhat below average hit tool, you're thinking, you know, someone like Adam Dunn, which you can have a long MLB career, right? Even if you hide him, uh, well, they already got rid of him for at first. Uh, even if you hide him at like left field or something like that, uh, right. he has, oh, he's so close and I really want him to succeed because I love the walk rate. That's something you cannot really teach a prospect is, hey, take a walk and he can do it but he's just lagged so far behind in so many other aspects that it's tough it's it's just so tough to be high on him yeah he, he's broken our hearts a few times to be <laughs> to be sure we, especially those the hot streaks were like he'll go a week where you cannot get him out and you'll hit like six home runs and you're like what is happening and then and then it's right back to where you where he was and it's just like what's what is going on with this guy um Two names. I, uh, I just sorry, real quick, real quick. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't understand how you can hit twenty home runs and have a sub three seventy slugging percentage. That's you just tough. you just don't hit anything else. You hit singles or you hit home runs or you walk. Like that. That's his profile right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm I, I might take the un, like. I'm not sure how many singles are being factored into that. I'm just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just it. He I mean when he when he goes on a tear, it's like it's extra base hits. But like that's it, and you're gonna get you know there's gonna be those stretches where he strikes out two or three times a game every game, and he's it's it's tough to watch, like it's tough to to follow just because you're just you, he's a guy he's a guy that I want to root for, I truly do. Um, but that's enough Braxton talk. I mean, like I said, we we kind of it's not it's not a, it's not a meme for us. He's just one of those guys that we you can tell there's real talent and real ability there, and it's one of those guys that if he turns things around. Like he goes from like not a top thirty prospect, which he isn't for us right now, to a guy who could like rocket up lists just because you can't teach that raw power. But there are two guys who have far more versatility and I think are more interesting to Braxton that are in the Mississippi Braves general level, have a lot of utility, and that are that is Travis Demerit and Ray Patrick Ditter. Where do we think they are going to be? Ray Patrick, I am almost positive he's going to start the season in Gwinnett, and I I really think he starts there. I think he has a strong year. I think the bat has made progress, slow progress, but I think it's made progress. I mean, he's got the defense and the speed to really be a huge asset, and I just don't see how you can't keep on pushing him a little bit more and a little bit more after the way that he ended up finishing last year and then going to the AFL. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, 
Yeah, for me, for me as well. I think I think Ditter starts in in AAA, and I said this last year. You know, I was a little surprised. I thought he's perfect for a playoff roster with that speed and defense. I really thought they were going to put him on that on the on the on the playoff roster. I know that's a bold, some somewhat of a bold statement considering, you know, never played in like AAA, but his his raw physical ability screamed playoff roster to me. So I was a little disappointed they didn't. Uh, he's starting to put it together. I, I do think he ends up in Gwinnett to start the season. And Travis Demerit, you know, he's someone I don't want to lose out hope on just because that power is there. That he's got good speed. He's got that great arm. He's a good defender. They're they're playing him everywhere right now. Uh, I really just hope that he walks really well too. He's got a pretty solid walk rate. I just I think he ends up in Mississippi to start off the season. And if there's any inclination that he's improved, if there's any if there's any hope that he's improved with his with his hit tool and he becomes, you know, just like if he can hit 250 to, to 250 to 265 with his slugging and OBP and his defensive like uh, versatility, he ends up in Gwinnett by the by the end of the season. And he's most likely I would say I would put him on a major league roster in 2021 because he's got those tools that like you could you could have him sub at second or third, left, right, like he has the ability to be very versatile and I love his skill set, but he needs to make that step forward with his hit tool, which he still hasn't. So I think he starts off, you know, starts off in Mississippi again. Yeah, he almost hit twenty home runs despite playing there. There's so much to like about him, but he's he this is a big season for him. This is a very big season for him. Yeah, when you kind of when you're passed over in the the rule five draft, like it's, 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 it's kind of a slap in the face when you have, especially when you have those kinds of tools. I was actually really surprised that the Braves didn't lose Ray Patrick in the rule five draft. He was listed on like, you know, baseball America's like one of their top, you know, rule five draft prospects, but the rule five draft is a strange thing where basically the most of the people that get picked are like relievers who are like have been in triple A. So I kind of understand it, but at the same time, I was a little bit surprised with a guy like that where you could put on a major league roster and, you know, be a pinch runner, be a pinch hitter and like, you know, be a defensive replacement just about I- anywhere. I totally but, agree. I thought he was gone. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, I'm I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm glad to have him around because he's you know he's still you know he's a top thirty prospect in the system, and he's he has the ability to get to move up a bit. Uh, I do disagree. I I agree on Travis Demerit that he'll start the year Double A. I'm much less bullish on him that he will make it to Gwinnett just because the hit tool is it's tough, man. Like he, and there are stretches where he is quite poor, and I'm not sure what adjustments he needs to make. Uh, he has kind of like a cap, like a Captain Caveman type swing where he's, when he's trying, when he, especially when he hits a couple home runs, all of a sudden, like every swing, he's trying to hit one and it really kind of makes him, he looks really off balance. He's, he just doesn't look like he's, has a plan at the plate. He's just kind of hoping that the bat makes contact with the ball and he hits the ball far. And, but at the same time, like I, I agree, you know, there's, I don't think there's a guy that puts better backspin on a ball that he hits than Demerit, and is it kind of like that that fly ball sort of launch angle type hitter, and with like the right instruction and maybe with the right adjustments, he's a guy that could make a big a, a big leap if he if things start clicking right and his pitch recognition improves. I'm just not necessarily bullish that that will happen, but at the same time, with that much utility, if a guy, I wouldn't be shocked if he did just well enough to maybe get moved up to Gwinnett because in the minor leagues, especially when you're going to be having a lot of roster movement, having a guy like that where if you make a if you make a promotion or if you make a trade and you can move him over, like him, both him and Ditter would work well at that level. 
Um, I, but I do disagree. I do think that Ditter ends up at double A to start the season just because he didn't have a ton of at bats there to start with. And if there is a question mark about him, it is his bat. And, and while he looked good in, it, it, at the plate for Gwinnett, I mean, not for Gwinnett, for Mississippi when he was there, uh, he definitely looked better there than he did in Florida because, well, as best as I can tell, Florida is a place where hitters go to die. But, um, I think that they're going to give him some more at bats at double A first before they kind of move him up to Gwinnett. That said, there's not anyone on that, like there's not position players on that Gwinnett roster that are going to be, with the exception of Austin Riley, they're going to kind of slow promotions, if that makes any sense. So if, you know, if they feel like he's got, you know, he's improved enough at the plate and they feel like he can handle that upper level and kind of being really close to the major leagues, uh, I could see that promotion happening. Let me, let me go ahead and clarify myself. Uh, I, if, if, Demerit is able to hit 250 to 265. I think he ends up in Gwinnett. I don't see it happening because he hasn't shown the ability to do it. So I think overall he ends up probably staying in Mississippi for most, if not the entire year. But if there's any chance that he has shown improvement, I think they're probably pretty aggressive with him. All right. Before we move on to Florida, where again, things get more and more speculative, um, we, you know, Matt mentioned a few names for the rotation and things like that, but uh, I want all of us to kind of come up with a couple names that could be interesting that we're not necessarily thinking of right now for the Mississippi roster. Uh, one guy in particular, Matt Withrow, is a guy we've forgotten about because he's been hurt. Um, he he's missed a lot of time recently, but he's a guy who's an arm we really liked, and he started the when he when he started at Mississippi, he was you know he's like throwing near no hitters, and we were really liking him, but then he got he got hurt. Um, Brad Roney is currently on that roster. I think that if he's healthy, he ends up in Gwinnett, but wouldn't be surprised to me if maybe they kind of start him off in double A, um, or if he, if he, if he is healthy. Um, and Jonathan Morales is a guy that we used to like a lot. Uh, I mean, I remember talking to Grob about him a ton as a catching prospect and he made his way to Gwinnett, uh, for a couple of stints last year. And he's a guy that has a hit tool and people seem, pitchers seem to like throwing to him. And he's, you know, he's a very vocal sort of like leadership presence as well. So those are a couple guys that I like. Are there any other names in particular that you guys want to highlight before we move on to Florida? I do want to say one thing about Morales. It was kind of interesting to see him in spring. He, I think they had him play a third a couple of times. And from whatever, from what I have heard, like pitchers absolutely do love throwing to him. Uh, the main thing about him is his, like, he went from producing really well with his bat to like hitting a wall almost. Uh, so he, he kind of went from like a potential starting catcher to more of like a, a defensive, backup catcher type role which still has a ton of value but you uh, i'd like to see him hit more consistently and yeah i mean that's really all the names that i wanted to hit on i mean we've pretty much talked about everyone that i really wanted to hit on so far without getting into the lower level names just yet right on um i i know we're, pro- we're probably gonna get asked uh it's not generally a good thing when uh outfielding hitting prospect where his hit tool and not as and without much power um, regresses in a second year at a level. So Tyler Nesloni is not necessarily a guy that's on our radar right now. Um currently Thomas Burroughs is on the Mississippi roster. I would be he might end Ooh. up at Mississippi. He might end up at Mississippi, but I think it's more likely that he ends up at Gwinnett. He was really good in the AFL. He's not a guy that's like super I I'm not He's not the kind of the, the reliever that gets me super excited just because he, he's one of those knows how to pitch guys. And I don't know if his, I'm not as big a fan of his stuff. Um, but I'm also kind of, I don't know. I'm particular about which 
relief pit, relief prospects I like, and guys with his profile have, have proven to be good major league major league relievers. So um, that's another guy that's kind of that is certainly worth mentioning. Um, I think that's it for that. So let's go ahead and move on to Florida. Uh, so hopefully this podcast won't be you know too long. Um, <laughs> if we're just being honest with ourselves, it's it's still going to be pretty long. But um, talk talk to me, Matt, about some, some guys for the Florida roster that you're kind of looking forward to seeing. I mean, this would have to be where Contreras goes first. He has to be that first name on the list. I mean, when you take off everyone that was already named as a upper-level prospect, I think the guy that most people look to as the most exciting prospect in the system has to be Contreras. I mean, you're looking at a potential all-star catcher when he fills in and gets up to the big leagues. Uh, well, I shouldn't even say fills in because he looks like he has filled in quite a bit physically, and I think the power is going to come from a little bit more this year, and he's going to have a very big year by that league's standards, realizing that the Florida State League is a pitcher's league. Obviously, behind him, I think this is where we end up seeing some of last year's draft picks. A couple of the college guys that I really wanted to bring up would be led by the top pick, well, the top hitter pick of uh, Grayson Janista, who I'm very interested to watch him go after having that full off-season program to work as a professional. I think the power is very real, and it's just a matter of how much of that power he's able to tap into in-game. But I'm very interested to watch what he does, especially in a league that's a little bit higher up than what he's faced since... Wichita State doesn't exactly face the highest level of competition in college. Uh, I'm hoping to see Izzy Wilson on this roster. I uh, realize I skipped over some of those other college names, but, I mean, Izzy Wilson has excited me since he won that GCL home run title when he was 17 years old. Uh, really hoping he could take that next step forward this year. But the other college names that I was thinking of would be A.J. Graffinino, who son of former Brave, Tony Graffinino, who came, was he a sixth or seventh round pick last year? Uh, was never healthy, uh, nagging injuries all spring his draft year. Matt was always a question mark, and it seemed like after he got drafted in the NCAA tournament, and then as well as what he did in the minor leagues, the bat seemed to have just played a whole other grade above what it was graded as pre-draft. It just felt like, for whatever reason, after he came back from that injury, the bat was just so much more than what anyone had actually expected. Now, that's not to say he's going to be a star or anything, but with his defense and versatility and a slightly better bat, you could actually be looking at a potential potential big league starting shortstop. Maybe a big league average starting shortstop as the this is the ultimate ceiling and not what I'd project for him. But you're looking at another potential big league starter if the bat really has taken a step forward, which we'll learn this year. And then uh Andrew Moritz, small college guy who did absolutely nothing but hit every single year in college. Great defense and speed for center field, and he's another guy I'm looking forward to seeing, as well as I'm hopeful to see Justin Dean here. Small college, later round pick. Not the biggest guy, but he's got some power, he's got some speed, he just knows how to play the game, and he's got potential future big leaguer written all over him. 
All right, Gaurav, this is the part where you get to talk about Drew Waters. I know you're excited, so go ahead. Yeah, he definitely he definitely starts there. Uh, he's he's the person. Yeah, I know Matt said Contreras, but I think that's that's, that's tough. Uh, it's like one A and one B. I think Waters starts there. He's gonna be he's gonna put on a show. Uh, he hit he didn't necessarily hit for power uh, to end the season over there, but he's got a full off season. Uh, a full off-season regimen. He got to be in the big league camp for a little bit. I think he's going to start. He's going to start there. I don't know how long he's going to last there because we already talked about the Mississippi outfield. There's definitely holes there. Um, but 100%, Drew Waters is my player to watch in uh, in Florida. Not to interrupt. I just yeah. wanted to say I was actually mostly considering him a Double A guy, which is why I said Contreras was the guy to watch. So I just wanted to clear that up. Well, there you go. Between like high A, if 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 the players in high A hit their you know hit their projectability, and you have Izzy Wilson, Andrew Waters, and in an outfields, you have probably me and Garrett just sitting in a corner with the biggest smiles on our faces. <laughs> For sure, I that that, those, that outfield especially. looks really good in Florida because I mean Grayson Tunis is out there too. You know what I mean? Um, I agree with those names. Uh, I would not be shocked. Well, I say that, but it would be a little surprising, but it might not be because Tristan Beck played a lot of like has a lot of time in college, and he you know he was like considered like a first round talent, and assuming that you know he's like completely healthy and you know he had a good spring, it wouldn't be crazy that they just skip him over Rome and they put him they put him in high A either. Um, you know, you're all- not the only one that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think there's, I think there's a non-zero chance that he does start there. I, I, I 100% agree. And another one is Dilmer Mejia. You know, he's been around for so long, you kind of forget, but he's still only 21, and he still has, uh, he's still got, you know, pretty, pretty solid ceiling. So, you know, they they have some, they have some fun players up there. Yeah, and the, the thing that helps is helps Tristan's case is that there's that rotation for Florida. There's not anyone that's like really pushing super hard. Uh, Freddie Tarnock is another guy that we kind of talked a little bit about before the podcast about this is that I mean, it's possible that Freddie Tarnock makes the, the promotion. I'm of the opinion that he'll stay at Rome at least for a little while at first. But again, not a crazy notion that he would be moved up to high A. Um, and you know, like I said, there's a lot of variability here because Matt's right. Like it's entirely possible, especially if like Drew was really showing out this spring that they put both Christian Pache and Drew Waters at double A and then just kind of figure out who they're going to put the rest of, but do with the rest of the outfielders that are there currently, which would be awesome. Uh, watching those two guys in the same, same, same outfield. But again, a little bit, uh, it, there's some variability. I, I tend to agree that Waters starts at high A. Uh, Contreras, I would be shocked if he didn't start at high A. Um, another couple guys that I like. Uh, one is Riley Delgado. He is one of those guys where you look at him and you're like, this is a guy is a, is a, is a ball player. Is he, he's a guy that can do damage. You know, he's 5'10. He, he, he's not a big guy. There's no power. You're, you're, you're not going to see him really cracking that many home runs, uh, predictably. Uh, go, you guys can go ahead and bookmark this podcast because now that I've said that, he's going to like hit two in the first week or something and I'm going to look dumb, but he's not a power hitter, but all the guy does is spray the ball all, to all fields. And this guy can get around at shortstop. He has some range. I saw when he was at Rome, like there'd be like these fly balls that would be kind of like down the, down the left field line halfway that would end up being these foul balls. And Riley is either getting to them and catching them 
or getting surprisingly close to them. He, he, he is, has all, he's all motor. I don't know exactly what the ceiling is with him, but I like guys like that that make the most of their tools. And he is not a guy that would shock me that ends up making it to the major leagues. And again, he's not a guy that's going to be the flashiest in terms of like looking at his stat line and things like that, but he draws walks. He, he he knows how to hit. He he knows how to hit you know lefties and righties. He's a guy that I really like. Um, another guy that this is where it gets tough for me because I really want Sean McLaughlin as a relief prospect to be good <laughs> because he has shown stretches like and if you kind of look at his look at his seasons of the last couple of years with the Braves, he'll have a couple months where he's probably the best reliever in the system. But then he'll have like a month where he's just not any good at all. And I don't know if they end up putting Sean at double A or keeping him at high A because he's one of those guys that kind of moved up and down. Uh, Sean, Josh Graham is a very similar sort of pitcher. Is like, you know, at times he looks really good. Other times not so much, but those are both guys that in terms of relief prospects that have had shown some success. And at some point you're going to have to challenge them or figure out if they're going to be around in the system long term or not. Those are two guys I'm looking at. Um, any other kind of off the off the board names that you guys are thinking that might make it? Yeah, uh, Jeffrey Ramos. I think that this is going to be yep. his year to move up, and the power was there when we saw him in the GCL, and I think the power showed up at times last year, even though the contact wasn't always there for him. He seemed like he did fairly well in big league camp this year, and he definitely looks a little bit bigger. So I think that there's some potential for somewhat of a breakout, not a big breakout, but at least to turn that next corner into his development. We also didn't really mention too much of the pitching. Guys like Inoue and Yasiel De La Cruz, who both deserve to be named, both high upside pitchers. Yeah, Jaseel for me, I feel like they're going to start him at Rome again just because he missed that time with injury. But it's not, again, not a crazy, I mean, you know what I think is, I mean, he could easily be a double A or he could be at high A. It's kind of hard. Adding him to the 40-man roster kind of changes that calculus a bit. You know what I mean? And it's possible that he's just going to be at a high, he's just going to be at a higher level than, than Florida right now. But. And, you know, they're just gonna, they're just gonna challenge him at Mississippi since he's on the 40-man roster so they can make that decision one way or the other. But, this is where things get a lot more speculative because if, especially when we have kind of a changing of the guard in the minor league, like player development side and on the scouting side and things like that, are they gonna be aggressive with these guys who are young and who may or may not be able to respond to those challenges because they have they have their own warts in a lot of ways. We've seen you know previous iterations of the Braves minor leagues where they have been very aggressive. You know, famously Mike Soroka and Kobe Aller just being jumped all the way to Double A was kind of nuts. But and obviously that worked out well. Are they going to be aggressive with a Freddie Tarnock who has big time stuff, but maybe needs some more refinement of his command and of his just ability to to know what to pitch when and things like that? And do they do that at Rome or do they do that at High A? I mean. It's worth mentioning that Dan Meyer is no longer the, the the pitching coach at Rome. He moved up to high A, and does that mean that maybe some of those guys that we would normally think would repeat at Rome or maybe need some more time down there, they they want it, they want them working with Dan? I mean, I I would have to think a guy like Tarnock, especially because he's still 
so new to pitching. He really doesn't have a lot on his resume in terms of a past track record. You probably are more interested in what he can learn this year from a pitching coach than what he does out there on the mound. I think you're good with mistakes he makes this year as long as he's able to learn from them. If He was supposed to 5-5 ERA this year, but he learned quite a few things to take forward next year. I think they'd take that over him putting up numbers like he did in the first half and not learning too much about pitching in game situations. Grav, you want to add anything before we take a quick ad break and finish this up with some talk about Rome? Oh, one other Rome name before just before he jumps in. We didn't actually mention Tristan Beck, and I have a feeling that based on how advanced he is as a pitcher, coming from Stanford, I think he most likely ends up starting the year in Florida. Grav? You guys pretty much uh, <laughs> hit them all out of the park. The only person I can really think of is maybe um, Trey Riley. You know, he doesn't—he didn't have a lot of innings last year, so they might be a little more conservative. But he's got the—he's got the pure stuff to to really challenge to, to challenge hitters. So if they want to be aggressive because he was in college, they can move him to, to high A. I don't think they will, but that's a possibility. And then the only other person I can really say I think would deserve it outside of those guys is probably Trey Harris. Yeah, Trey Harris definitely belongs. But I think they might go with him in Rome just because to start the year, just because he's a local kid and he's a guy that is going to be a fan favorite. I mean, just watching him play the game and how much he enjoys being out there, you might want to have that guy. He really is. He's awesome. I enjoy watching him. I mean, you think... A guy like that being a local guy, you might want to start him out at Rome and help Rome out in that way. I mean, he could uh, he's on that borderline for me between Rome and Florida, but maybe just because of that being the local guy with being a guy that's extremely likable to fans, you might start him out in Rome. And as for uh, Riley, just since you brought him up, I don't think he's ready for an assignment like Florida. He's a cold-weather juco arm. He has a lot of refinement that's needed. I mean, the stuff is definitely there, but I think he's got to be a guy that moves a little bit slower. So I think he's more likely to be ticketed to start in Rome. But no, I, I agree with you. The potential is huge. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's a massive. I would say he's a massive boomer bust. Like if, if he hits his potential, he's got two outstanding pitches. He could be extremely dynamic. I would assume that they play it super slow with him and, and help him refine that two-pitch sequence. And perhaps, I'm, I'm sure they're going to try and do everything they can to keep him a starter, but uh, if, if the change doesn't develop and they just go with the two sequence, uh, the two pitches, uh, he's still like, you could lock him in as a high leverage reliever that you want in Atlanta within like two years or something like that. Uh, but yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think I think you're totally right. I think I think he starts in uh, in Rome. All right, before we get to the last segment where we talk about Rome and we kind of say our goodbyes, at least for this week, we're just going to take a short, quick break for an ad. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, guys. We have reached the point where it's going to be very hard to make accurate predictions and that is the Rome roster, because honestly, what the Rome roster is going to be to start the year is going to be vastly different from what it looks like going into after the draft and as promotions happen out of rookie ball, um, things moving up and down. So, Matt, give, give us a few names to watch for Rome as we kind of try to do our best to guess as to what's going to be happening down there. Okay, so if we take off everyone that's already been mentioned and – uh, maybe not Riley and Harris, who might end up being here. The bigger names, I think, uh, Nolan Kingham, who was uh, the 12th round draft pick last year from Texas. He's a guy that I actually had ranked in my top 100 draft prospects. He's got a big body. He's got good stuff. He's got that perfect package to be a big, big league inning eating starter. He suffered through a bunch of minor nagging injuries last year, and because of that, he didn't pitch much after being drafted and signing because Texas went pretty deep into the College World Series, too, and he was their ace. So he didn't really throw too much last year. He's the brother of uh, Pirates young starter Nick Kingham, but he's got real potential. He won't be an ace or anything in big leagues, but he's got that number three, number four starter upside, and I think given that full offseason to get healthy and continue to work on his stuff, he's definitely a guy to watch. Uh, Jake Higginbotham is another guy. I was just about to refer to him as Higgy, just because it's so much easier than the full name. Uh, the 11th round pick out of Clemson, at, from the left side, he's got pretty good stuff. He's another guy who has dealt with a lot of injury issues in his past uh missed most of his time at Clemson because of that, but there's significant stuff in there, and he's definitely a guy that is going to be worth watching. Uh, hopefully some of the guys from last year's draft, like a Brendan Venter, who I think has some potential with his bat, even though he isn't exactly a, a plus defensively anywhere, but the bat has some potential to keep on playing up the system. Uh, small college hitter Greg Cullen, who was a very productive second baseman in college. I think he's another guy that would be ideal to start in a spot like Rome. Uh, hopefully we might see a couple of the guys from the lower minor league levels from last year. I think a young catcher like Ricardo Rodriguez, who seemed to have taken a small step forward at times last year, even though his final stat line might not have totally reflected that. But it seemed at times like he was starting to make some progress. He was a fairly big deal as an international signing as a 16-year-old. And when he came over to the Braves from the Padres, I believe that he was still a little bit hyped at that time. So he's another guy worth watching. The other guy, I'm not 100% sure he would start in Rome after coming from the GCL. But then again, he did double up on the GCL two years in a row, but Jeremy Fernandez is very toolsy as a center fielder. And even though I think he might end up maybe needing to move into a corner outfield spot long term, 
there's still a lot to like with him, the power, the speed, the athleticism. He's another guy that if he does end up starting if in Rome, he's a guy immediately worth watching and really getting your eyes on. And if he doesn't start in Rome, he's the kind of guy that can be promoted there within a couple of weeks before short season ball even gets started. All right, Garav, who you've got? Man, he took them all. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Viscaino. Uh, that's the only one I can think of. Like, you pretty much hit out of, okay, out of the park. That's very cliche considering we're a baseball podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Higginbotham or, or Kingham, uh, Colin as well. These are all the names that are actually on my list. <laughs> I don't have any. I wanted to surprise you with Ricardo Rodriguez, but no, you said him too. Uh, maybe they do Ray Soderman because he's older and he could help some of the young arms. I don't know. Uh, I guess Vizcaino would probably be the only other one that I, I would say I kind of expect to be in Rome. Uh, but there's a very good chance, you know, he's he's not. <laughs> Yeah, this is the part where it gets tricky because, I mean, Matt rattled off like, you know, eight names, but other, but it's, a lot of that is speculative because you don't really know, especially how young some of those guys are, whether or not they want to have them give them some time at Danville before they kind of move them up to Rome and, or, or just have them more time in extended spring. We saw that happen to William Contreras last year, a guy who we all thought was going to be at Rome after a really good year at Danville. And he still started the year at extended spring. He was up relatively quickly after that, after that, which I think it's an important thing to note when you look at, especially the Rome roster, is that that is a roster that is going to change frequently from the beginning of the year up until up until as promotions happen, with like some of the older guys on the Rome roster getting moved, getting moved till after the draft. This is the one that's going to be the most in flux. And so when we when we all talk about a guy like a Jeremy Fernandez who had a really good year down rookie ball and ha- has all these tools, but maybe they want to give him some more hands-on instruction once all these other minor league players get out of minor league camp and give them some extra time in, in extended, maybe he goes to Danville, maybe he goes to Rome, depending on what the team's needs are and depending on kind of where he is developmentally. Uh, the guy that you both mentioned and the guy that I'm high on is Jake Higginbotham. Um, kind of had a low-key, really good debut, pro debut, was a guy that when he was – Coming out of high school, before he went to Clemson, he was a highly regarded draft prospect. Had some really unfortunate issues, some injury issues. One was like a weightlifting one where he like kind of tore a muscle, and it kind of cost him a comeback from a, a, another previous injury as he had done all this work to come back. And then he pitched well for Clemson, gets drafted by the Braves. And he, I interviewed him this past year uh, after the draft, and he was a guy that you can tell – has like a chip on his shoulder as to how things went. And he really, in addition to just having having good stuff and knowing how to pitch and pitching in big games before at the college level and performing well in his pro debut, more importantly, he's a guy that like kind of knows that the odds are against him. And instead of kind of sounding defeated about it, he's a guy that feels like, it sounds like in talking to him, he gains strength from that and it drives him. And it, it, that's something that's, Harder to gauge in terms of, you know, whether or not that actually pans out and all that. But he's a guy that I'm looking forward to seeing in person, kind of seeing how he goes against these guys in low A. Because as a college pitcher that knows how to pitch and 
I don't think it's going to be possible to really outwork this guy in the offseason, given how kind of where things went and how things went for him. That he's 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 a guy that seems like he's out to prove everyone wrong, and combine that with some real talent and some pedigree. That's that, if I'm if I'm picking one guy for Rome, other than the guys that you know may or may not start at Rome, depending on you know whether that's Freddie Tarnock, whether that's other guys who might repeat there, um, or like a C.J. Alexander, who we've kind of talked about at multiple levels at this point. He's kind of the guy that I'm really the most interested to see, simply because he. he those are the kind of the stories of the ones that are my favorites are the guys that, you know, get picked late, but it was because of something outside their control or, you know, life happened and things like that. And so he's a guy I'm looking at. Uh, Tristan Beck is another guy that could start here. It just kind of depends on how they choose to move him. Um, Trey Riley is another guy, obviously, we talked about during the Florida part, but there's a lot of variability in these lower levels as to kind of how the, you know, the player development team at the Braves kind of feel where they're the best fit. Even if that necessarily means this is only a temporary stop for them, that doesn't necessarily mean that's indicative of anything being wrong with them. Um, anything else before we we close the show out, gentlemen? No, that's really uh, all that I, I had. That, that was awesome. It was a lot of fun doing this again. I miss it so yeah. much. I have missed minor league baseball a whole lot. Um, I just want to say that I only mentioned the name Mike Soroka once in this podcast even though he's in the minor leagues right now. And I'm very proud of myself. Uh, I still love him very much, but obviously he's kind of, he's, he is very, assuming he's healthy, he's going to be moving on to bigger and better things. And you can hear, you know, the thoughts on the Talking Chop podcast or in the big league section of things if you want to hear, you know, kind of what I think of him because he's, uh, he's done really well for himself. And I'm proud that I've, I think this might be the first Road to Atlanta podcast where I didn't spend five or 10 minutes talking about him. So, with that, all that said, guys, really appreciate all the support that you've been giving us over the years, whether it be one of the first iteration of the Road to Atlanta podcast when it was out to our work over on Talking Chop. Um, it's hard to overstate just how much growth the Talking Chop as a site has, has grown, how much all of our followings have grown over the past few years. And we're really looking forward to getting this podcast up and going and running again. There's going to be a lot of talk about the draft coming up. We're already doing a lot of work behind the scenes, doing a lot of research as the guys we like and don't like. A lot of work that's going to be done on kind of as the minor league system, the, the minor league system gets up and rolling next week. Uh, recaps are over at talkingchop.com. We'll be starting up next week. Uh, oddly enough, Aaron's going to be, who is not on the podcast, is going to be giving or doing our first recap of the season and we're just going to start rolling through there. Starting to do a lot of work on, you know, film work and video work and getting out to games as much as we can to kind of give you guys the best information that we know how to in, uh, in every medium that we can get our hands on. Uh, I know that Garav is working very hard on possibly a bit, a bit of an expansion of, uh, Road to Atlanta. Uh, I'm not sure how much he's willing to talk about that quite yet, but it's, uh. Ooh, we got some good guests lined up for that. <laughs> uh, essentially just, just like I've already talked about on Twitter a whole lot. We're going to start doing a video segment where we, where I'm going to start interviewing some prominent members of like the Braves organization, Braves media, where it's more of a low key, you know, we're just kind of hanging out, playing video games, getting to know the people, uh, not so much Braves or baseball related, more learning about the person behind the bat, the glove and the microphone. And we're excited for that. For that video series to get started, you're going to be seeing. Uh, I'm going to be uploading videos videos to my YouTube channel. There's going to be videos on the Talking Chop uh, YouTube channel as well. There's going to be obviously there's going to be articles coming out as as we kind of learn more about the, more what the system looks like going coming into the 2019 season. 
uh, there's a lot of work for us to do, to be sure, and uh, a lot of guys that we need to get better looks at. So we're looking forward to experiencing that with all of you guys, and we're really glad that you guys have been continuing to needle all of us as to the return of the Road to Atlanta, and we're happy to say that Road to Atlanta is back. We're going to be trying to post this every Thursday night uh, in some form or fashion. And if it's not Thursday night, it will be like a Friday morning thing. We have a lot of guests that are going to be really cool to, to lined up. And again, it's just, you know, when the draft comes, we're going to have some of the draft guys on. When we have the, uh, when we kind of, as we get into the season, we might talk about, talk to some more of the prospect guys. You know, when we're talking about international guys, we're going to try to bring the right people in to talk to you guys about that as well. We're just excited that baseball is back and we're really like, it's weird to be excited about the minor league recaps rotation that we that we just set uh because it's a lot of work and but it's a labor of love for all of us and we just want to say thank you um it's easy to kind of get into a funk with kind of when things don't go quite the way you planned uh, especially like te- technologically and just kind of being so busy that but there was enough of you that just kept saying hey when's the when when is road to atlanta coming back is it coming back and it was always in our on our minds and we made it happen and we're really happy that it is happening it's going to continue to improve and just thank you so much, guys. It's Wait, be a really before fun we go, there's some news that happened while we were recording. Oh, talk to me. Lucas Herbert. Cut. Oh, why? Herbert, Herbert and Mooney. Is Doc okay? I mean, let me go. Let me go. <laughs> let me go and send him a message. <laughs> well, as as this podcast was happening, uh, we didn't mention these two these two players, but uh, Lucas Herbert, uh, Lucas Herbert, and Marcus Mooney have been uh, wow. released. I mean, Which Herbert is, was in our top 30, never too high, for quite a while before he slowly found his way out of that list. I Do you see them, either of them, picking up anywhere else? Herbert probably does, just because he's a catcher strung defensively, and he's a guy that can handle a pitching staff. Somebody will probably want him around to, I mean, look how many minor league teams there are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, defense, defensively, he's good enough to where, and th- there's such positional scarcity with catcher in general that I feel like he will get a shot somewhere, but it was kind of disappointing. I mean, a lot of it wasn't his fault when he got injured at first, his first pro season, and they still put him at Rome anyway. It feels like his bat just never was given a realistic shot to be able to develop. But I will say there are going to be some really angry minor league pitchers because they, a lot of those guys yeah. really like throwing to Herbert. A lot Never heard a bad thing about that. No, no. not at all. Uh, if you if you ask players, they'll a lot of them will say that the best defensive catcher they've seen in the minor leagues was Herbert, and so that's a real shame. Uh, he's kind of been a part of the our has been a part of our discussions about the minor leagues for a long time, um, and that just comes down to the sad truth about following prospects and following the minor leagues is that more often than not they break your heart. Or you get your broke, your heart broken because they get traded or they, they get released and it's, it's just a shame. But at the same time, it's kind of a part of the deal and we're looking forward to hopefully some happier news, uh, <laughs> uh, as we go along and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to talk to some about some new names. Uh, really excited about the draft as well, which is going to be probably one of the better, one of the bigger drafts that we're going to see from the Braves organization for the foreseeable future since the team is quite good. Uh, we're not going to see a top 10 pick, I would imagine, for a while. So stay tuned for all that. Make sure you follow the uh, Road to Atlanta Twitter account at Road, the number two Atlanta. Um, or you can find our work over on talkingchop.com. And again, just th- thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate you. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.